Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Haley. Welcome to Mountain Mysteries, Tales from Appalachia. So for today's story, we're going back to May of 1981, when the number one song on the charts was Morning Train, 9 to 5 by Sheena Easton. Have you heard it? I haven't. <laughs> it's a great one. you got to listen. Ronald Reagan had recently been inaugurated in his first term as president, and the world was excitedly awaiting the summer wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. Were you excitedly waiting that? I was not, because I'm a baby. Okay, well... <laughs> It's all right. Meanwhile, in the rest of the world, two 27-year-old social workers from Maine, Robert Mountford Jr., also known as Bobby, and his girlfriend, Laura Susan Ramsey, known as Susan, uh, wanted to earn a little bit of money uh, towards the cause of mental illness, a cause that was close, near and dear to their heart. Uh, So they chose to do one of their favorite things, which was hiking along the Appalachian Trail. They were really active hikers. um, They enjoyed camping and felt like this would be a great way to do something they loved and earn money at the same time. So he started off actually in Georgia, um, and they decided to meet up in Virginia. So they met up in Virginia in May of 1981. Along the way, they met another female hiker um, whom they befriended, and they all made a plan to meet at this certain time and place in a couple of days. So what ended up happening is the female hiker got there and she waited and waited and they never showed up. She became worried um, because they, as much as she had known, they had been uh, pretty reliable. Mm -hmm. So she actually called law enforcement and they were deemed missing persons. Oh, I mean, social worker is after my own heart, but... Exactly, right? Maybe not the whole missing in action thing. Exactly. And you know, so near and dear, you know, that they would be willing to do that. Yeah. Help, help others. And, and that's so cool to, like, take a hike and earn money and... Exactly. What a neat way. Get a little exercise. I want to do that. Absolutely. So clearly they were people who had really good hearts, who were trying to help others. Mm-hmm. So Bobby and Laura had set up camp. Um, they had done a little fishing. Um, they were exhausted. And a man came to their campground. His name was Randall Lee Smith. Randall Lee Smith was a man in his 30s. He was from the area. He knew the trail very well. In fact, growing up, he could see the trail from his house. Mm. So Randall Lee was actually raised by a single mother who worked at the local hospital laundry. Um, Many of the neighbors reported that she was a quiet woman, kept to herself. Um, But they also reported that when her son was very little, that she would dress him in female clothes Mm. um, and parade him around as a girl. Um, And they say that he was kind of a loner. His um, schoolmate said that he really didn't have a lot of friends. And when he would have any kind of social interaction with peers, he would make up stories about being very well off, Mm -hmm. having a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And he would also mention that he had property in other states. Mm -hmm. Um, His friends, of course, knew this not to be true as he was raised by a single mother who they lived in a very small house. Um, And so he got the nickname LR for Lying Randall. Oh, Randall. Oh, poor Randall. And so, ironically and oddly enough, when they would say uh, 
they would call him Lion Randall to his face, he would get sort of a cheeky grin. Yeah, and okay. smile and almost laugh. Okay, I mean, you know, accepting the nickname, empowerment, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's very odd. So, he actually, once he graduated high school, he went from job to job. He had worked in a shipyard. Um, it actually gave him time to wonder, and he as a child, would wander the Appalachian Trail alone, and this is something, yes. That catches me out a little bit. Where are your children? We don't know. We don't know. They're That's, on the trail. They're on the trail I mean, this somewhere. is also, you said the 80s? Yeah, by So this maybe point. things were like, well, things are a little different in the 80s. Right, so he would have been born in the 50s, um, so. Okay, so yeah, like. Clearly, you know, I mean, we're just letting our kids do, do the things they want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do want to preface that um, the Appalachian Trail really is a very safe place. Yeah. yeah um, you know, it's not common to see a lot of um, violent crimes. Mm-hmm. So he would walk up and down the Appalachian Trail. He was very familiar with it. And in fact, he could see it from the windows of his house. Mm. So it was sort of near and dear to him. Um, he was described as an individual who had long, dark hair. He had sort of a big build, but he was out of shape. Mm. So they described him as he looked like he could be a football player, but one who didn't work out or hadn't in a while. See, I'm kind of like, when you say that, I don't know why, but the first thing that pops in my head when I hear the name Randall is like a scrawny little dude. I don't know why. Yeah, I kind I of see tall and scrawny. I see like that too. Like tall and scrawny? Yeah. Am I thinking of a movie character? Maybe a little nerdy. Maybe little a little glasses. nerdy? Glasses, yeah. yeah. I see that Randall. too. Yeah, little Randall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lion Randall. Lion Randall. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... In May of 1981, uh, Randall is wandering the Appalachian Trail. He stumbles upon Bobby and Susan, again, who had set up camp. Mm -hmm. They start talking to him. He seems very engaging. um, And they invite him to have dinner. So... Like good people. Like good, kind social workers. (laughs) You know, maybe they picked up on something a little unique about him. Yeah. And so they were very kind to him. They enjoyed a meal with him. Um, and it said later in the evening when it started getting dark, he and Bobby got into an altercation. He pulled out, and this is Randall, pulled out a twenty-two caliber gun and actually shot Bobby in the head. That escalated so fast. Very fast, Whoa. right? So at this point, it is alleged that Susan got up. She had been sleeping in her tent. She got up and got into a physical scuffle with Randall. And Randall, at that point, took a very long nail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this was a nail that secured the tent. I don't exactly know. Like a tent stake um, or something. Yeah. But he took it and uh, stabbed her with it 13 times. Man, talk about the overkill. That's that's an angry guy. Yeah, have it's you ever really... tried to stab something 13 times? No. I mean, neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. That's good to know. It seems like that'd be a lot of, a lot of stabbing. That's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's an angry man who yeah. just met these people. Right. Who offered him dinner. And you fed him. I would hate to think if they were rude to him. Right. You know? <laughs> My gosh. Jeez. So, um, he actually buried them with his hands. He put them back into their sleeping bags and buried them with his bare hands. Um, At this point, he drove off. He went somewhere. Um, They ended up finding him in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. But 
the hunt was on to try and find them because their friend who had waited um, at the site where they were all going to meet, she had called the police, and so people were on the lookout for them. Yeah. Um, it actually took several weeks for them to find their bodies. Um, and the bodies at that point had decayed. So right. when autopsies were done, it was alleged that... Um, the female, Susan in this case, had possibly been sexually assaulted. Oh, but it couldn't yeah. be proven because of the decay on the body. Right, right. So, finally, they ended up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, making the connection. Um, and they found Randall. He was arrested and brought back to Virginia where he was charged. He admitted to the crime. You know, I did it, yes. He was sentenced. He plea bargained, though, mm, for the lesser gotta crime. Love a plea bargain. Gotta love a plea bargain to second degree murder. What? Yes. Why there was a plea bargain, I don't even know. That so, doesn't make any sense. So he plea bargains, um, and he gets this second degree murder, and he gets 15 years. S- 15 years right. for this? 15 years for this vicious murder what? of these two innocent people who were just trying to help others. I mean, give him a meal. Give him a meal and he'll take your life. I mean, that's... (laughs) And then only get 15 years for it? And only get 15 years. Yikes. So, fast forward to 1996. His 15 years is up and he is paroled. He got paroled? He got paroled. What? So, just so you know, um, a lot of people were protesting his parole. Oh, um, They were marching along the Appalachian Trail uh, protesting this. So, this was very, this was an active protest. People were really, really angry. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. he was paroled. He went back to the small town there in Virginia where he had been born and raised. His mother had died during the time that he was in prison, so he actually lived in her house. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked some unsteady jobs. He'd worked as a mechanic for a little while and he did some welding nothing really stuck um neighbors said that he actually kept to himself he really kept a low profile and it didn't appear that he had gotten into any sort of trouble so to speak so then in march of 2008 he and his dog and so now this puts us 27 years after the crime okay uh he and his dog went to go hang out again on the Appalachian Trail. So he mm. left everything behind, and they went uh, for a pretty long camping uh, trip. Meanwhile, um, a couple of months later, so we're back in May okay. of 2008. May since seems to be this month here for right, him. Right. I, I don't know if he, something about that spring. I don't know. So, it's May 2008. We have this man named Scott Johnson. He and his friend Sean, um, since they were children, have enjoyed going camping together, fishing, and they decided that they were going to make a two-day camping trip. They were going to meet there. Um, So, Scott Johnson is driving along the road when he sees a dog who looks very emaciated. He Mm. sees his ribs. He can see basically all his bones, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, this poor dog hasn't eaten in a very long time. Poor dog. Behind him, um, following the dog, was Randall Lee Smith, who also didn't look too great. He looked like he hadn't eaten in a while. He was unshaven. So Scott rolled down the window and said, you know, hey, um, you need a ride, you know, are you hungry, Mm. kind of thing. Never pick up the, never pick up people. Ew, yeah. Bad move, bad move. Definitely, 
definitely. So he engaged him in conversation. They talked for a little while, and and Randall had told him, yes, you know, I've been camping out, but I haven't been able to catch any fish. Mm. And Scott said, oh, well, I've been able to catch some. You know, he'll hear some trout, you know. Uh, can I take you to your campsite? And come to find out, Randall's campsite was actually very close to where Scott and his friend Sean's campsite was. So um, Randall said, hey, you know, maybe this evening I'll just pop by and say hello. Mm. Seeing that he was alone and and feeling a little sorry for him, um, Scott said, oh, yeah, sure, and just sort of blew it off. Yeah, sure, come on back. So Sean, the friend, shows up. Mm. They end up setting up camp, and while Scott is collecting more firewood and fishing, Sean continues to mill around the campground, and Randall comes to join them. Okay. Randall comes up to Sean, introduces himself as Ricky Williams. Already not loving this. Yeah, I know. It's, um, I'm real worried for Sean and Scott here. Super. Yeah. Super, super, super concerned. Yeah, yeah. So he introduces himself as Ricky Williams. He says, uh, yeah, I met your friend Scott earlier. We got to talking. And so in Sean's head, he's thinking, oh, you know my buddy. You, you had rapport with him. You know him. You're a cool guy. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Um, so they invite him to stay for dinner. I see a theme here. This is a theme. Seems to be a theme. So they invite him to stay, um, and he stays. They have dinner, and they actually make extra trout for the dog because the dog seems starving. Yeah. Ricky Williams tells this story about how he went to UVA, University of Virginia. He went to okay. Virginia Tech, um, and that he actually wrote for NASA. Wrote for NASA? Wrote for NASA. What do you that was- write at NASA? He had written papers, he said, for NASA. I mean, I guess they need that. I, I guess there's somebody who has to write for NASA. Yeah. yeah. So okay. he was writing papers for NASA. I guess couldn't be an astronaut, so, you know, Write the not? papers. Write I mean, the papers. We need all types. Absolutely, absolutely. So Sean and Scott actually did not believe this story. They were thinking, yeah, no kidding. It seemed a little far-fetched to them. Mm -hmm. But what they were thinking is that maybe he had a little problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. He seemed disheveled, but the odd thing about it is he was dressed in really nice, expensive clothing. Mm -hmm. He was in a um, very expensive camo jacket and pants, and he was wearing very expensive uh, hiking boots. Mm -hmm. So to them, they felt like maybe he had gotten kicked out of his house. Um, So maybe he was just living there and just having a tough go of it. Yeah. So they were a little sympathetic to him, but he wouldn't leave the campsite. Yeah, it's always weird when you, like, like, yes. even when you have, like, a friend over and you're like, okay. So, and you kind of go, oh, and you yeah. sort of, man, I, whew, I gotta get up. It's been a long day yeah, working whew, on this campsite. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Wow. I just don't take the hint. No, and he wasn't. He mm. wasn't taking the hint. Um, and so they were kind of... Like, is he going to leave? This is so odd. So eventually he got up um, like he was getting ready to leave. He called his dog, patted his leg. Um, the dog came to him. He actually stood behind Sean and pulled out a twenty-two caliber pistol. Ooh. His seems to be his gun of choice. Yeah, yeah. So he pulls this out, and before anybody can realize what's going on, he shoots Sean in the temple. What? So he is actually standing behind Sean at this point. Sean is a man who is is pretty burly guy. Yeah. He stands well over six feet tall, and he's over 360 pounds. Jeez. So he shoots him in the temple, and his friend Scott, of course, who is there, turns around and... 
and Ricky, a.k.a. Randall, mm-hmm. turns the gun onto Scott and shoots Scott in the nape of the neck. So maybe this whole, like, just serving 15 years for the murder and then getting paroled thing was not a good move. Um, I don't feel like that was rehabilitating. Right. Doesn't seem like it. No, doesn't seem like that at all. Um, so Scott uh, started to run out towards the woods. Um, and run away. Scott started to run out towards the woods. Ricky, Randall, uh, turned the gun towards him and started firing at the silhouette. He ends up shooting him again in the back of the neck um, as Scott runs to hide in the woods. Meanwhile, the dog is barking like crazy, and Sean gets shot again. Yes. I mean, he's already been shot in the head. Exactly. So, Sean is able to somehow miraculously crawl his way to his truck. What? Yes, and the ignition keys are inside. And he glances to the right of him, and there he sees Ricky Randall standing there with the gun pointed at him to shoot him again, and he pulls the trigger. Oh, my God. This would have probably killed him. Yeah. However... The gun was out of bullets. Oh, thank the Lord. So he starts to reload. Apparently he just has bullets just on him, so he starts to reload. At that point, Scott, knowing how it's going to go, drives off, and he somehow makes it to the road, and Scott, who's been hiding in the woods and is bleeding profusely from the neck, sees the light and goes running to the car, and they get in the truck and they start driving off. The one thing, though, that Scott, who had been hiding in the woods, thought to himself is, oh, my gosh, my truck is still sitting there with my keys in it. He oh, could just take my truck. Oh, my gosh. What if he comes after us? He's going to get in the car. Exactly. So they're terrified. You've got Scott, who's holding pressure on his neck, fearing that he is not going to make it. And if he lets go of the pressure, he may bleed out. And Sean's been shot in the head at this point. Sean's been shot in the head. He's driving. What? So they're trying to help each other. So you've got Scott, who's holding onto his neck and trying to steer. You've got Sean, who is, you know, got his foot on the accelerator. And it is kind of a hot mess. They're trying to go down this mountain uh, that's very steep and curvy. Um, They are driving erratically, and Sean is driving very, very fast, to which Scott is trying to tell him, please slow down, slow down, you're going to kill us. Yeah. Um, And so they actually end up running into an embankment, um, but luckily they're able to get themselves out, and they keep on driving. They finally get to the point where they're down the mountain, and they see lights. Now, this is 2008, so compared to the crime in 1981, they actually had cell phones on them, but they didn't have cell service. Oh, you don't have cell service anywhere up here. Exactly. So they didn't have any cell service. So finally they came across um, what was a new housing development. Of course. Right. Yeah. So the first house that they came to was actually still under construction and there was nobody who lived there. So the second house they came to, they saw lights on and they went and started banging on the door. Scott got out of the car Can and started banging. So the woman, uh, the one of the, the lady who lived there, she thought, oh my gosh, this is like a home invasion. You know, because she saw a man like holding his neck and bleeding and she yeah. didn't know what was going on. And she and her 20-year-old son and her father lived at this residence. So um, he, Scott, said, you know, my buddy and I have been shot up on the mountain. Can you please call 911? And so she calls 911 along with her 20-year-old son. And they are telling the story of what happened to them. 
um, about how the man came along the campsite, they offered him dinner, and how he shot them with a 22 caliber pistol. The grandfather, recognizing this story because he'd lived in the area a long time, said, you know, this sounds very familiar because there was a crime that happened very similarly in 1981, and oddly enough, there has been a missing persons bulletin for Randall Lee Smith. Randall. Randall, a.k.a. Ricky Williams. Ricky. Ricky. (laughs) Damn Ricky. (laughs) So, um, he tells his grandson, he says, you know, why don't you go to the local, I guess, uh, grocery store. I guess there was a poster up Mm. of what Randall looked like. And so, grandson goes and he comes back and they ask the gentleman, they ask Scott and Sean, is this the man that shot you? And Scott said... 100% this is the man. Now, they did notice that the picture of the man, um, he was a little bulkier. Mm. um, And the man that they had seen looked very scrawny and skinny. He obviously spent quite a while out, you know, not being very good at fishing. Yeah. Um, So they were able to identify that it was Randall Ricky Mm. um, who had been the man who shot them. So Scott and Sean were both taken to the hospital. Um, They had pretty significant injuries, obviously. Um, They were told by doctors, had it been millimeters, they both would have been dead. So they felt very lucky to be alive. Um, Actually, their story is featured on an episode of the show, I Survived. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you all should check that out if you get an opportunity. Don't know if it's on YouTube. It might very well be. So having the knowledge that this was Randall, who had committed these crimes, yet again, I say, yet again. Mm -hmm. Um, And do note that this crime in 2008 happened only a mile and a half away from where the murders were committed in 1981. Whoa. So he is a creature of habit. Yeah, it sounds like it. So... The cops quickly found him. He was actually driving Scott's truck, which he had stolen. A chase ensued, and his car actually went over an embankment and flipped. Mm. He was pretty significantly injured, so he spent some time in the hospital. Once he was released, of course, this he was released on May the 9th, 2008. Um, they put him into jail. The next day, the jailer was coming with his dinner tray, mm. and he called out to him, and Randall never responded, so he went inside the cell where he found Randall dead. Now, there are mixed... um, I found a lot of mixed information on how he died. Some people say that he actually hanged himself. Mm. Um, Some people say that he just died of natural causes. Some people say that he died due to injuries that were sustained from that wreck. Mm. And also being severely emaciated. Right, um, right. Any of those sounds. Any of those things are definitely plausible. They said that no other injuries were found on the body. Um, so they didn't believe that it was any, um, you know, wrongdoing. Or, right, you know. right. It wasn't like a another inmate or something. Exactly. So he was 54 years old. Mm. And that's where the story ends. Um, mm. But I will tell you all, if you are interested in learning more about Susan and Bobby, the two social workers yeah. who really put their heart and soul into helping other people and were tragically killed at the age of 27, um, please look at a book um, called Murder on the Appalachian Trail by Jess Carr. He's actually um, a native of mm. Radford, Virginia. Um, this book was published in 1984 and it will give you more information about the life and story of these two incredible folks and their tragic tragic end Mm. so thank you so much for joining us for this great story next week Haley is going to share another story from mountain mysteries tales from appalachia yeah 
Again, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, If you'd like to, you can send us an email at mountainmysteries.appalachian at gmail.com. And you can send us your case suggestions and some spooky stories of your own. We would love to be able to do a listener stories episode. So we need some stories to make that happen. You can follow us on Instagram at mountainmysteries.appalachia. And check us out on Facebook at Mountain Mysteries Tales from Appalachia. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.